The Bible presents some very helpful advice when it makes this statement. Be not wise in thine own eyes. That's going to be our focus tonight, and we're going to look at a few verses that are a variation of that statement. But be not wise in thine own eyes. What does that mean? It means don't be content with your own approval. What he's saying there, he's not talking about heavenly wisdom. He's not talking about the kind of wisdom that God gave to Solomon. He's talking about your definition of wisdom. Be not wise in thine own eyes. In other words, don't be content if your wisdom approves what you're doing in your life. It means don't take comfort in your own endorsement. We've just come through one of the craziest political seasons that our nation has ever endured. And I was thinking back, as you, as you listen to politicians talk and make promises and debate and, and boost themselves, I thought back to a man, I believe he was a congressman, he was from the state of, the, of Washington, he was a Christian man, that spoke to us at the Capitol Connection this March, and he said, you know, he said one of the, one of the hardest things that, it, that a politician has to do is to be humble. He said, I know as a Christian, that God gives grace to the humble, and I know I have to humble myself. He said, but in order to get to this office, you have to go all around your district telling people how great you are. You have, you, he said, you can't be a successful self-promoter, I'm sorry, a successful politician if you're not a self-promoter. And he said, then you win the office, and if you want God to help you, you immediately have to go to God and say, God, I'm nothing. After you've been telling all these people, I'm the man. I'm awesome. I'm great. Vote for me because I'm the best. And then when it's time to do the job, you have to go to God and say, God, I'm nothing. He said it's quite a, quite a paradox that every Christian politician has to live. But this statement, be not wise in thine own eyes. Don't take comfort in your own endorsement. How many of us are guilty of constantly endorsing ourselves? We defend our own words. We defend our own actions. We get in trouble, and our first response is to justify why we said what we said or why we did what we did. I'll tell you what would be helpful if our first response, say, man, I got I to gotta put up that wall of I was right. How good would it be if our first response would be, all right, look, tell me, what are, you, what are you talking about? I want to hear what you have to say. Because maybe there is the possibility that I was wrong. Maybe there's a possibility that I need to make an adjustment. Maybe there is something that I need to apologize for. Oh, you say, if I did that, I'd be weak. Everybody would think I'm weak. First of all, who cares what everybody thinks? And secondly, no, it wouldn't be weak. It would be meek. If you're able to say, tell me about it, I want to hear about it. 
And if I've made a mistake, I will apologize and I'll seek to improve. That would not make you weaker. It would make you stronger. But don't take comfort in your own endorsement. Don't be confident in your own wisdom. You know, these speeches about self-esteem and things that are written in books about self-esteem, you know, and you stand in front of the mirror and I say, uh, it's Sunday night, you know, and I've served the Lord all day and stand in front of the mirror and say, how did you do today, Joe? And then the mirror says back to me, you're the man. You did it. That was great. That was awesome. We need more of what you did today. You're the man. And those are the kind of things that you're taught to do to build your self-esteem. And, hey, nobody else is going to be your cheerleader. You better be your own cheerleader. Don't be wise in your own conceit. Listen, what would you think of your child's report card if your teacher let them fill it out themselves? And your, your, your son, your daughter comes home with straight A's. No, A-pluses. A-pluses, man. You got A-pluses and everything? Wow, that's great. Yeah. How did you do? Well, the truth is the teacher just gave us a blank report card and said, you just fill out what you want. Tell me what kid wouldn't give themselves straight A-pluses. How many of you kids, how many of you all in school right now? Raise your hand. You're in school. Oh, you're a student. Okay. How many of you would have loved to be able to fill out your own report card? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. But most adults do fill out our, we fill out our own report cards because we want to give ourselves a glowing report. And this is what Solomon's advising us against. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It should be health to thy navel. Everybody wants to have a healthy belly button, right? It should be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Now, let's look at a few places in the Bible where the Bible makes a similar statement. Turn to Proverbs 12. And we're just going to look at four or five verses, and I'm going to make a few comments about them. Then we're going to go back to the original verse, and I'm going to just make a couple of comments about that. And then I'm going to show you how to do this. And we're going to get this all done in 20 minutes, 20 more minutes. All right, so Proverbs 12, verse number 15. Proverbs 12, 15. Read that out loud with me. Ready? The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Okay, so what do you see there? The fool approves his own ways. The fool is satisfied with his own approval. The fool is his own only counselor. Now, you can look at that verse and picture this guy. He's the fool over there, whoever he is. He's the fool, and he does all these things. Or you can look at it and say, the guy that does these things is a fool by definition. So instead of looking, hey, yeah, he's the fool. And uh, his, his ways are right in his own eyes, and he approves of his own ways, and he's satisfied with his own approval, and uh, he's his own only counselor. Where do you get the counselor business? From the second part of the verse, he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The fool doesn't hearken to other people's counselor, counsel. He's his own only counselor. I'll tell myself what to do. Now, we can look at that guy over there, that invisible guy called the fool, and say, oh, that's what he does. Or we can do what might hurt a little bit and say, do I do those things? Because if I do, I'm a fool. 
if I approve of my own ways. Be very careful that you don't let your lifestyle define your beliefs. Let your beliefs define your lifestyle. The reason we have so much immorality and the things that people, things that we all know are wrong, and people find a way to justify, oh no, this is perfectly right. This is perfectly moral. Are we out of our minds voting for pot, for recreational uses? Are we out of our minds? And I know, I know all the arguments. Well, you know, it's just now different than, than uh, drinking. Okay, then let's outlaw drinking. If that's the argument. Well, I, you know, I, and they're going to do it anyway. Can I tell you what just about everybody misses on this? As soon as you make anything legal, the majority of the population fails to see anything wrong with it once it's legal. So what's to hold you back from doing it once there's nothing that says it's wrong? But we buy this argument, well, everybody does it every, anyway, so why make it, why fill up the prisons with people that are, aren't do, are doing something that's not all that bad? And that's so ridiculous, and that's so foolish, because all it's doing is making foolishness right in our own eyes. The fool approves of his own ways. He's satisfied with his own approval, and he is his own only counselor. All right, turn over to chapter 26, Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. And I would urge you to meditate on Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. There's a lot of wisdom here when it comes to interacting with other people. You, you think about, you know, man, people at work, they say the, most, the, the craziest things. And I don't know when to speak up and when I shouldn't speak up. You know, I'll be going to family things over Thanksgiving. I'll be going to family things over Christmas and New Year's. And people say the craziest things. And I just don't know when to speak up and when not to speak up. This gives you something to go on here. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Read it with me. Ready? Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Now, I guess if you're a little shallow, you might say, look, there's a contradiction right there in the Bible. If, if I mean, look, anybody that would put a contradiction right next to each other like that, they, mm, even, if, even if the Bible were written just by men and not by God, they're not real smart men if they would put a contradiction right next to each other. No, that is not a contradiction. That is a paradox. Paradox is a way of of capturing your attention and getting you to consider both sides of something. Okay, so these two verses combine to tell us when not to answer a fool and when to answer a fool. Let's talk about when not to answer. You know, you know what I'm talking about. The guy that's just spouting off foolishness i we used to have guys a couple of guys at one of the uh, steel mills that i worked at 
and uh, the crane operator, and he was he was a nice guy. He was drunk all the time. Uh, he'd come to work drunk. When when I, I, this is probably too much information, but when he would walk out out of the men's room, what he deposited smelled like beer. I'm not kidding. Just, the men's room smelled like beer when he walked out, and it's not because he had been drinking. He just was drunk all the. But he was a functioning drunk. I think he and here he is. He's operating the ceiling crane. So he's holding, he, he's got, you know, 20,000 pounds of steel over your head, and he's drunk. But I don't think he could have done it without being drunk. I, he always was drunk and with a cigarette in his mouth. He was about 60 years old. But, but the funny thing was, he was a nice enough guy. He loved me, and uh, we, we had a great time together. But he also loved to go to the other Bible students that worked there, Bible college students that worked there, and get them worked up. He'd set up a trap for them, and they would jump headlong into it. And, the, and they, I mean, I remember this one guy, he'd just get red in the face of talking about why this is wrong, this is bad. And Charlie just be standing there laughing at him. Why? Because he set a trap, and a guy fell in, and he's just laughing at him now that you could get so out of your mind over something. And Charlie didn't care about it. He just wanted to get you worked up. When do you speak up? When do you not? Okay. Verse 4 tells you when not to. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. You don't answer a fool when answering a fool makes you look foolish too. You don't answer a fool. Okay, here's a good rule. When a fool is making himself look like a fool with his words, keep your mouth shut and let him keep talking. You don't have to do anything. You know, somebody's running off at the mouth, and it may, you say, man, he's really making a fool out of him. So you don't got to answer him. He's already making himself look stupid. Let him go. And sometimes, and you know, there, you've been in settings. I know I have. You've been in settings where somebody's just going off about how the Bible's not the word of God and church is just a bunch of brainwashing and yada, yada. And everybody in the room knows you're a Christian, including him. And you will never look wiser than when you just sit there with a kind grin on your face. And they get done, and, and, uh, and uh, he gets done, or he walks out of the room, and people turn to you and go, what do you think about that? And all you say is, man, I think he's a good guy, don't you? And you walk out of the room. You won. You won. He walked out of the room looking like a fool. So when a fool is making himself look like a fool with his words, keep your mouth shut and let him keep talking. Here's a famous old expression. Some attribute it to Abraham Lincoln. Some attribute it to Benjamin Franklin. But better to keep silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. That's a, that's a good thought there. But 20, Proverbs 26.4 gives us a guideline. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be also like unto him. That's when not to speak up. When someone's spouting off foolishness. Verse 5 tells us when to speak up. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. So here's some thoughts of when to speak up. Speak up when staying silent lets the fool wallow in his foolishness. Speak up when you have some wisdom that will adequately combat the fool okay here's let's go back to when not to speak 
When somebody's spouting off foolishness and it's making you mad and you think to yourself, somebody ought to say something, but I don't know what to say. Okay, when you don't know what to say, just keep your mouth shut. Because all you're going to do, you're not going to make him look worse. You're just going to make yourself look as bad as he looks. But when you have some wisdom that will adequately combat the fool, then answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. When you have true words of wisdom rather than the wisdom that is rooted in the fool's conceit, then speak. But here's the summary of the whole thing as it pertains to wise in your own eyes. A fool continues wise in his own conceit when his foolishness goes unchallenged. There is a time, there is a time when you don't let people just keep running their mouth unchallenged. There is a time to speak up. And so, wise in his own conceit. A fool continues wise in his own conceit when his foolishness goes unchallenged. Now look at verse number 12 of Proverbs 26. And this one really smarts. See, you're not a fool. There's no fools here tonight. But you can make the mistake of doing foolish things once in a while if you're not careful. So let's not trip over into doing foolish things. Verse 12, Proverbs 26, 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Wow. When you're in this business of constantly giving yourself approval, I'm a self-approver. I mark my own grades. I give myself a passing grade. Way to go, Joe. Thumbs up. You're the man. Okay? The man who is content with his own approval is nearly hopeless. Yeesh. I don't think that worries me more, I guess. Not worries me, but scares me when I think of my, my life as a whole than of coming to the place where I have made myself hopeless. The man who's content with his own approval is nearly hopeless. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? He's always right. He always knows the answer. He knows what, what, is, what is wrong with everybody else. He can tell you what is wrong with every other Christian in the church. He can tell you where every preacher he's ever met is off base because he knows. Well, I'll save that story for later because it fits better later. A fool has more potential than a person who is guided by his own opinions. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There's more hope in a fool than of him. Don't be content to think you have all the answers. That you, I know what's right. I, in other words, you see a situation or you hear someone's situation and right away you think, I could tell them what to do. If that's always your answer to everything, you might be wise in your own conceit. And the Bible says there's more hope of a fool than of you. This verse means the wisdom of self-approval is more foolish than the everyday run-of-the-mill fool. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, there's more hope of a fool than of him. 
Look at chapter 28, Proverbs 28, verse 11. Just a couple more of these verses, and then we're going to wind it all up. Proverbs 28, 11. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. Now you say, well, that verse right there make it sounds like the rich man is always a bad dude. No, if you read the book of Proverbs, you'll see that there's other times where Solomon praises the rich man. So it's not about whether a man who is wealthy is, is inherently good or inherently bad. It's talking about the positive side, the, the good things that wealth can do for a person, and the dangers that wealth brings to a person. Here's one of the dangers. The rich man is wise in his own conceit. Self-approval is a danger of wealth. Listen to this. If you define success in dollar signs, you are at risk of limiting your potential. You'll think you've arrived at success when you haven't even approached it. How many people have be? I mean, you've seen this so many times. How many people have become indescribably, incomprehensibly wealthy, but they lost their family? How many men and women have gone after money and achieved great wealth, but they're so lonely? Is that the definition of success? You know it's not. But because they let the success be defined in dollar signs, they limited their potential. So that's what he's saying. The rich man is wise in his own conceit. Money can give you a false sense of wisdom, a false sense of achievement, a false sense of fulfillment. Let's look at the last one. Turn to Isaiah chapter 5. These are all occurrences of that statement, wise in their own eyes, and we're looking at the times when similar statements or phrases are used in the Bible. And this is the final one, Isaiah five twenty one. Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 21, and why don't you read that with me. Ready? Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Now, if you read Isaiah 5, you'll see that there are a number of things where the prophet says, woe unto them, woe unto them, woe unto them, and this is on the list. Woe means you better be scared. You better be careful you're in big trouble. Like like we would say, woe. You know, you're in trouble. But woe means misery. It means anguish. You have great misery and anguish ahead if you're doing this thing. And one of the things on this list, woe, misery, sorrow, pain, anguish unto them that are wise in their own eyes. Hey, this is not a small thing. This is not a something to shrug your shoulders. Yeah, no big deal. Just a little pride. No. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. This means that when I think that my opinion rules, I'm headed for destruction. It means that when I'm constantly justifying my ways and my philosophies, instead of analyzing them and improving them, I'm in great danger. It means that when I notice that I have become my own chief advisor, it's time to get my heart right. Let me stop and talk current events for just a second. One of the things that gives me great hope 
about our president-elect is they say he is a tremendous listener. They say he sits, he surrounds himself with experts, and he listens to them talk. Now, that is a sign of great strength, and it's a sign of great potential, and it was very, I'm very happy to hear that. If you want to achieve, you will surround yourself by people that, that know, that have great wisdom, great experience, and you will listen to them. But woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. When I notice that I've become my own chief advisor, it's time to get my heart right. Now, let's go back to Proverbs 3, verses 7 and 8. And we're approaching the finish line here. Of course, you realize that the minute you leave the starting line, you're approaching the finish line. But we're, we're intensely approaching the finish line here. Let me give you three thoughts about this statement in Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Number one, don't be content with your own definition of success. How do you define success? Let God define. Don't be content to define success for yourself. Secondly, raise your standard of excellence. Don't build a ceiling over your head that is based on your own personal wisdom. Can I tell you, at 49 years old and having been in the ministry, I mean, as a pastor for 22 years, my definition of success is not the same as it was when I started out. It's not the same as it was when I was a Bible college student. It is much narrower and it is much higher. I want to raise my standards of excellence and I don't just want to base them on my own wisdom. I want to find, hey, what was D.L. Moody's definition of success? That'll help me. Was D.L. Moody successful? I would think so. Then what was his definition of success? Was Charles Spurgeon successful for the Lord? What was his definition of success? Was Paul the Apostle successful for the Lord? Well, the Bible indicates that he was. What was Paul the Apostle's definition of success? Instead of me just sitting around thinking, well, let's see. If I could build the largest church in our city, if I could build the largest church in our state, if I could make my mark on history, if I could yada, 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 those are all things that's all my own, wise in my own eyes. Don't be content to be wise in your own eyes, but seek the Lord. Okay? Don't be content with your own definition of success. Raise your standard of excellence. Don't be satisfied with your own approval. So how do you do those things? Let's end with that. Here's how we're going to answer that. If you go back through every verse that we just read in the last 20 minutes, There are several of those. Some of those verses just straight up state about being wise in your own eyes, wise in your own conceit. But three of those passages give you a contrast to being wise in your own eyes. It shows you the other side of the coin. It shows you the negative, but then it shows you the positive. So let's take the positive side of those three statements, and we'll find out how to do this. Okay? First one, how do you do that? How do you raise that, your standard of excellence? How do you make sure that you're not content with your own approval? Well, the first one, Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord 
and depart from evil. Or, or the way to depart from evil is to fear the Lord. So in other words, let the Lord set the standard. Respect the Lord. Go after the Lord. So number one, how do you make sure that you're never content with your own definition of success? Number one, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. We need to seek the Lord every day. We need to seek the Lord all the time. What do you want? What would you have me to do? Seek the Lord. Secondly, Proverbs twelve fifteen: The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Now, he's referring there to the counsel of other people. So seek the Lord, number two, seek the counsel of godly people. Ask questions. Ask questions of people who have been successful for the Lord. When a Dr. Tom Williams comes to town, listen to him speak, and then when you have the opportunity, ask him a question. You don't have to bog him down with 25 questions, but one wouldn't hurt. What's the best way to... When you were my age, how did you... I'll tell you what, some of the most insightful things is when I have asked older preachers about things they did when they were my age, sometimes their answers are stunning. Of They'll just open up and say, well, let me tell you something that I wasn't good at and I made this change. Let me tell you something that I used to neglect. And seek the counsel of godly people. One of the amazing things about people is say, well, I don't, I, I'm not, I can't learn anything from Ray Young. After all, he's just a man. Okay. Sir, so are you. But you're content to follow your own opinions. Well, here's an incident I was going to share a little while ago. When we first merged with Heritage Bible Church and we had been here for a little while and I tried not to change anything right right away I was just so happy to uh, that it all came together as it did but I I had a bin full of old uh, pictures and they were framed pictures of historic Baptist pastors eight by ten pictures and I looked around where's a good place where it's not in everybody's face but they can see it once in a while so I picked the wall Right outside the lobby here, just above the bathrooms, there's about that much of a gap. And I said, this is great. It's a little bit bigger than the frame pictures, and I'll put them along here. It doesn't have a prominent place, but it, it has a place where people can look up and there's, oh, look, there's Charles Spurgeon. Oh, look, there's William Carey. Oh, look, there's, and they can see these, these men of God. And uh, it wasn't long after that, and this person's not here anymore, so I can tell the story. Um, but but uh, he said, Pastor Christ, see you. I said, sure. So we went in the office downstairs, and he said, I knew it would happen. I said, what? What happened? He said, man worship. I said, what? Man worship. He said, I knew. I knew as soon as you got in here, it'd be man worship. I said, where? How? What? He said, those pictures. And uh, here's the funny thing. I, you know, I, I listened, and I, I said, you know, that's it's not man worship. I said, if we were worshiping, they'd be up there by the cross. We don't worship the cross either, but you know what I'm saying. I said, that would have that kind of prominence. I said, I put it back there, like above the bathrooms, about the, about the least prominent place, you above the bathrooms. 
And uh, I said, uh, who, who, you know, who do you, whose sermons do you read? And he listed a couple. I said, that's not man worship? Well, I, 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 I'll never forget when I was a teenager. I was, it was pre-teenager, really. I used to have, before, uh, I used to have a, a, a uh, okay, in third grade, I had a friend, fourth grade, fourth grade, it was fourth grade. I had a friend in fourth grade that was like the biggest Elvis Presley fan on the planet. And he infected me and a couple of other people. So I wound up sometime that year with a, it was a red t-shirt. And it was, you remember how you go to the, you'd go to the fair and you you get these iron-on patches? So I, I, brought, I brought a sweatshirt to the, to the fair and uh, had them iron-on. It was a picture of Elvis, Madison Square Garden, you know, doing this thing right here. And, it said, and this was after he died. He died in 1977, August 15th and uh, uh, 16th, August 16th, 1977. And, but he's doing this pose right here. He's got the guitar, and it says, the king lives on. And, you know, he's looking at the camera going like that. I wore that sweatshirt everywhere, and, including church. I wore it to youth activities. You know what I got everywhere I wore it, including church and youth activities? Oh, that's awesome, man, the king, the king, yeah, the king. There came a point where I got rid of my Elvis sweatshirt, and I started putting pictures of preachers on everything. I put pictures of preachers on my – I had a notebook that had Dr. John R. Rice – Dr. Jack Hiles, Dr. Bill Rice. I had all these preachers, Tom Malone, Lester Roloff, all of them. And, and you know what I was getting then? Oh, this man worship. Wait a minute. You liked my Elvis sweatshirt? As soon as I put pictures of some preachers on, on a notebook, oh, that's careful there. That's, that's man worship. Now, I got a little off the trail there, but... Seek the counsel of godly people. Is it possible to go overboard and put too much stock in the words of a man? Certainly it is. You don't want to live your whole life based on anything just because pastor said it. But there's some godly men in this church that can give you counsel that would be a whole lot healthier, to use the word in Proverbs 3.8, healthier, than only taking your own counsel and defining your life by your own opinion. Let's go to the last one, Proverbs 28, 11, the second part of the verse. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. See, the rich man, if he, if he winds up letting his life be defined in dollar signs, he stops searching for answers because he thinks He's found them. I got the answer. You know, I got, <laughs> I, I got 10 cars. I got this. By the way, nothing wrong with owning 10 cars, but there is something wrong with defining success. I've arrived. I don't have to hear anything you have to say, little man, because after all, look at the size of my house. Nothing wrong with a big house. But when it makes you arrogant, you've, you've made a mistake. But the poor... That hath understanding. He keeps looking for the answers. A lot of times I wonder if the reason God doesn't let a lot of us live in that place where, you know, the, the money, there's a, the need always comes before the supply. You know what I'm saying? That uh, this goes wrong and it's a good thing I'm getting that overtime next week because this just went wrong and that overtime is going to pay for it. 
It's like, God, can I, can I ever just get a little bit of money in the bank? Would that, would that be too much to ask? And I think one reason God lets us live that way where there's always a need before the supply is because it keeps us seeking. Whereas if when we reach the point, if we were to reach the point of having all those needs supplied, we'd stop hunting, we'd stop searching for the truth. Constantly seek the truth. Don't level off. Don't come to the place where I got all the answers. I know how it is. And I, listen, I can tell you what's wrong with this guy and this guy and this guy. Uh, you know, this guy has this problem. This guy has this wrong philosophy and this guy's wrong on this and this guy make that. Have you spent any time seeking the Lord? Do you seek the counsel of godly people? Are you constantly searching for the truth or have you become wise in your own conceit? Father, I pray that you'd help us, please, to seek seek and to search for truth, to hunger and thirst for your wisdom, to not be content to approve ourselves, but to search and to hunger and thirst for your answers your truth, your approval. God, I beg you that I would not be wise in my own conceit and that none of us would be, but that you'd keep us humble, keep us hungry, keep us in pursuit of God always, please. Let's stand together tonight. The piano.